I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, stodging. It's Andy Greenwald! I'm excited about today. Oh man, so this is a really special episode, Andy. We have not done this before in our entire history of the watch but today we are bestowing a special award on a, on a tv program from the year 2023 uh we are giving out a best episode of the year award uh i don't it doesn't come with any silverware hardware trophies it could come with forks uh it could come with forks because it is the f- episode forks from this season of the bear it aired june 22nd 2023 uh, as all of the season of the bear did because it just got dumped on hulu which is not a bad thing it is Something you can just sort of like immerse yourself in over a weekend as we did. And let's talk a little bit about the context of the episode. So you get through the first half of the season and it, it kind of seems to peak mm-hmm. with the much talked about fishes. And we had a funny thing happen where we decided we were going to give this episode of the year to the bear. And I thought we were giving it to fishes, even though you thought we were giving it to forks. Well, I, I knew we were giving it to forks, and I texted you forks, but yes, to be clear. I skipped that text. I'm sorry. That, that's fine. Uh, I send you a lot of texts. It speaks to the excellence of this show and the amazing tenor and fever pitch it hit in the middle of the season mm-hmm. where I thought it was one episode, you were you meant another, we could have both been right. Yes, and I think that there... It, People who agree with us, I think both of us had the Bears as a number one show of the year sure on our did. podcast last week. Within that, people may, people may, oh, that's right, all three of us did. People may agree with our decision, but I think reasonable people could disagree as to which was the best at the end of the day. And I think, you know, we alluded to this last week when we talked about it. I think the uh, Ethan Hawke episode of Reservation Dogs, I think um, the flashbacks episode of, of Beef, I think that the big two of the season of Succession, mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of Barry, all of these were in contention. But at the end of all that, for me, I thought Forks was just an absolutely transcendental experience of watching something. Yeah, It is a show finding its voice at the peak of its powers, grabbing the wheel, blasting a Taylor Swift song, and just driving into something that I didn't, I don't even know if the people making the show thought it, they were capable of. Yeah. It leaves the restaurant for the first time in a real way. It focuses on Richie, who is one of, you know, building up to this episode, one of the great supporting characters of our time and drops him in the worst possible place for him, which is something fancy, something rigid, something built on a different kind of rigor and respect. And something remarkable happens, something that runs counter to what a lot of the great TV shows of the past decades have taught us, which is people maybe, just maybe, are capable of change. So you mentioned the people who made this show and whether or not they expected the response they got to Forks. We were lucky enough to be joined, as the rest of our podcast will be, by two previous guests of mm-hmm. the show. Uh, Chris Storer, who is the director of the episode of Forks, is director of many of the episodes of, of The Bear. He is the creator of the show, and he's the co-showrunner of The Bear. We were also joined later in the podcast with Chris, Eben Moss-Backrack, coming back to talk about Richie's journey in this episode, to talk about 
his relationship to this episode, which I thought was really fascinating to hear from him as a mm-hmm. performer, as an actor. And just get a little time with Cousin and Chris, man. It was it, pretty awesome. It was a really great experience for us. We were really grateful to their generosity for joining us. Um, just to be clear so people understand. So Chris joined us in the studio. We're going to cut, we're going to throw to our beginning of our talk with him in a moment. Eben was joining us via Zoom from his home in Brooklyn. He looked fantastic. You'll hear about the beautiful golden light. It will come as no surprise to anyone who loves the bear that the show is as much about, seems to be as much about community behind the camera as it is in terms of what we end up watching. Yeah. The dynamic between Chris and Eben is one built on now clearly friendship, but also a lot of creative trust. And it was fun to see kind of Chris step up to the mic and start questioning Eben in ways that maybe we weren't able to because, you know, A, we don't know him, B, he wasn't in the room, and C, we mostly just wanted to talk about Andor, let's be honest. <laughs> um, no, we, this is a, this was a really cool one for us and I hopefully for you listeners too because this is a really like, this is a behind the music type episode of The Watch. Like we just dug into one episode with two people directly involved in it start to finish. So if you haven't rewatched Forks recently, I, I would do so. You do. I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably helpful to rewatch Forks now and it's only like 33 minutes long mm-hmm. and it'll still blow your top off. I watched it like three or four times for this episode. You could also pull a CR and watch six minutes of fishes and then text me if and be you like, have my Yo, number. Fishes is real good, and man. Then, <laughs> and then fire up. That's fine too. Um, Andy, let's get into our conversation with Chris Dora and then later the three of us are joined by Evan Moss Bacharach. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Kaya McMullen for, for producing. And congratulations to FX's The Bear for making the Watch Podcast's episode of the year. Yes. All right, Andy, we are so, so lucky to be joined by uh, the creator of The Bear, the director of The Bear, Christopher Storer, coming back for the second time on The Watch and for a very special purpose this time because we wanted to try and do something a little bit different with our year-end podcasting this year. This is a new holiday tradition. And it starts now. We, we have decided to bestow the first ever, I guess, uh, episode of the year award. <laughs> well, so what are we, is it like the watchies? What are we going to call this? I don't this? know, but it's like we, we talked a lot about what we wanted to do at the end of the year, and we talked a lot about the TV that really meant something to us. Mm-hmm. And the episode Forks of season two of The Bear really kind of stood above everything. And we're so happy to have Chris here to talk to us about, about this amazing piece of television. Man, that means a lot, guys. I'm lucky to be here. This is really cool to be the first recipient yeah, of a prestigious you, new tradition. Do you want to begin this conversation? We're going to list the other runner-ups, and you can just talk <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no, dude. Yeah, that's no, right. Yeah, don't bang, even tell bang, Don't bang. even tell like, me. The I'll pilot take... of Lioness. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what else? Another Sheridan <laughs> universe. The second watch of Lioness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man, so it, this is a little bit behind the scenes, but Andy and I had this funny conversation where he was like, we're going to do this. Like, and I, we, we were excited, and he was like, I, we got Chris. And I was like, great. And I was all ready to do fishes. I was like, I, th- I thought we huh. were going to do fishes, which is says a lot about the show that the, these two episodes nice. could be considered, either one of them could be considered one of the best episodes of television of the year. And, you know, obviously, like, I think that fishes is like this huge standout. It's this epic episode in comparison to some of the others runtime-wise, cast-wise, cast, yeah. emotionally. But there's something about Forks that I think almost out of its economy, it feels huge to me and that's not really a question but when you think about let's start here when you think about forks in relationship to fishes how important was it for you in terms of sequencing in terms of where those things happen in the season to have that kind of for lack of a better term feel good after feel bad yeah i think it's a good i mean so first off again guys it's awesome to be here you guys are the best and you've been supportive of the show and it means a lot Um, also chris i want you to know I didn't want fishes. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> You're like, fuck that I shit. want to make this a little more contentious. You're like, I'm so sick of that shit. Yeah. Like, how could you even think that, Chris? Okay. Well, it's interesting too, because when we were talking about uh, this season in general, before we started writing, I had this conversation with one of my buddies, Robert, who was like, you know, your show doesn't have to be screaming all the time. And I was like, that's a great point. Yeah. And it got me in this headspace of like, Joanna and I started talking about it. It'd be cool to slow it down. We had a little more time. This is Joanna Callow. Joanna Callow, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought we were like, it, a good opportunity to slow things down but also sort of kind of get into what it feels like to be stuck which i think is something we all go through i mean it's something that i deal with all the time like, yeah you know and i think there's something to be said about finding something when you're not looking for it and you know and sort of you know i've directed commercials and stuff in the past and one spot that we did uh with drew and gary our, our camera 
guys from the bear. We were at the French Laundry for a week following Thomas Keller around. And is Gavin Newsom there? Or? N- no, oh, it was okay. it was it was right after Tim Hollingsworth left. <laughs> okay, uh, but it was this interesting thing because I think fine dining is really easy to make fun of. Like I think because it, it, it is there's something inherently sort of stuffy, stuffy and, 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 food. and intense yeah. about it. But the more we were there, we sort of got into the process of how much everyone cared. Yeah, and how much truly every single little thing in this restaurant meant sort of the world to everybody involved and when you're in that kitchen underneath all the clocks there's a sign that says sense of urgency okay which is this you know like you could be like that's so silly but it's hard to not drink that kool-aid yeah by the end of the week we were sort of like that's pretty dope and it's sort of stayed with me and i had also been reading uh my friend will godara's book unreasonable hospitality and for those that don't know will uh was the co-owner of 11 madison park right and in his book he sort of gets into the book's really about being thoughtful and showing more attentiveness, attentiveness, whatever business you're in. And I was like, this is really cool if we could connect that to Richie somehow, this character that sort of felt lost. So in terms of like building the season, we knew that we were going to have moments to be able to spend more time with the characters. Like we knew Io was going to be in Chicago. And when we got to that episode, it sort of was like Io unlocking creativity and gaining some confidence. And then we went to Copenhagen and then we were going to be with Molly's character and Carm and, so when it came to fishes, we sort of knew we were going to get the backstory of Richie and sort of see what this family is like. And we knew it was going to be loud. So we knew the follow-up should be kind of quiet. Yeah. And in terms of like what you said, like feel bad and feel good, I don't necessarily knew that we thought about it like that. We just thought about it like, well, we're setting up this stuff about Richie. Now we get to really spend some some time with him. And we were in, the more we talked about it, we were like, it would be pretty great to see Richie in a fine dining establishment. And I think the bad version of the show is it sucks and everyone's an asshole yeah. and you know, but to find sort of, you know, sort of find like joy in the process could be really interesting. And I think Eben's such a tremendous actor that I, I knew that it would be the most quiet we'd ever seen him. And I also thought it was another great opportunity to bring in a lot of our friends like Sarah Ramos and Andrew Lopez and Olivia Coleman as a nice reveal at the end. So we didn't put, I don't think we put, too much thought into it other than we wanted to follow loud with quiet. Right. And do you, when you break a season of the bear, do you have a fixed sense of, obviously you know where the characters are beginning coming off the heels of the previous season now. Do you have a sense of where you want them to end up? Specifically with Richie, he covers a lot of ground this season. Mm -hmm. And this episode is the fulcrum of his transformation. Almost from one scene to another, you see it happen. Mm -hmm. Was that part of your process in crafting the episode, uh, knowing that you had to get him, you had this many more emotional miles ahead of him. I think we were also like, you know, I've been watching a lot of shows that I think wear out their welcome in terms of like runtime. Mm-hmm. Not to like talk shit, but I think it's like some episodes you're like, that was really long. And I know we did the same on Fishes, but I thought we were sort of like, if we can keep it exciting enough, I mm-hmm. think you'd be into it. And I think on this one, we knew it was going to have to be more contained. So we had to make sort of every scene sort of count in there. And Alex Russell, a writer. Every second count, yeah. Yeah, every second. Like Alex Russell, who wrote it, did such a beautiful job of making sure everything was efficient, but also like quiet and also sort of breaking the, sort of the normal rhythms of our show. Like Mm -hmm. there was less talking over each other and there was a lot more sort of um, staring at forks and these complicative, you know, quiet moments. And I think, to answer your question, Andy, like I think we try to just be as efficient as we can with each Mm -hmm. character. And again, there's no, grander idea than that, really, other than we have 27 minutes to get Evan from A to B. I guess I'm interested in it because you are a director. You directed this episode and did a beautiful job. And you also are so, because of that, you're you're thinking of the story visually. You're thinking of it practically, too, in terms of production. Could we get into a, a, a high-end restaurant? How yeah. would we film it? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What is that conversation like in the writer's room with you and Joanna? Alex Russell wrote the episode, the rest of the staff finding the balance between what you need them to say, because yeah. this the dialogue in this episode is, is beautiful and moving, and also what you know you can get in terms of oh, yeah. Eben's performance, a needle drop, the opening sequence in the first act of the episode that is essentially just quick cuts and editing of beautiful food and forks yeah. in his face. I mean, my footnote to his question is essentially like, is, is that like, what happens if you can't get love story? Like, do you have to go back yeah. and do surgery on the whole thing? No, well, I mean, we, so... First and foremost, we we're so lucky in Chicago that everyone's. I mean, I love it so much, and we've been so welcomed there. And we were kind of hoping that someone would let us use a 
kitchen for the day. And I think we got very lucky that Ever, which is a great restaurant in Chicago, actually gave us four days. And but their crew is also, you know, the the chefs and they're they're actually working in the background. Yeah. And and it was great because my sister was also like running a restaurant inside another restaurant. And uh, your sister Courtney, my sister Courtney, and I think. Uh, it was weird though because it was the first episode we shot that the whole cast really wasn't mm-hmm. there sort of in the sequence that we shot it and a lot of times it was just Eben on his own and I imagine it might have felt I should ask him this I, we never really talked about it but I was like that must have been kind of weird and lonely that like we really just shot him polishing forks for quite a while yeah. which was different than we'd been used to and I think the other thing we did because we knew he was going to sing it we got Love Story cleared pretty Pretty early. Pretty early yeah. on. So we got, and again, like, Taylor was awesome. Everyone was great, and we got very, very lucky with with all that stuff. In terms of the, um, just the, the granular script work, how, what is your method? And I don't mean you singular, but like the collective. Like, are there a lot of drafts? Are there a lot of voices that stay a part of the process even after the room is done? Um, you know, so much of this episode is about precision yep. and refinement. And in watching it again in preparation for this, I was thinking about how, you know, and we'll we'll get into it more a little bit later. But the conversation between Chef Terry and Richie, to my mind, it, it it's perfect. It is there's no there's no unnecessary piece of it. So how do you how does that develop? Yeah, and within your show, we don't do a bunch of drafts. Honestly, I think the thing we always talk about a lot in the room is sort of how can we bury the plot as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not as it's probably you know. There's probably lots to learn about writing for me. Like I don't, I don't like plot is not my strong suit. Yeah, I think the thing we talk about a lot though is how do we keep it low to the ground and important to the people in the show. And because we're making a restaurant show, I feel like the more we specific we make it to that industry, sort of the more relatable it is to like other industries. Hopefully, just the fact that these little things really mean a lot to the people sort of going through them. So when we talk about an episode, I think it's really how do we keep this as human as possible and say what we need to say sort of without using a ton of words. Like, how can we do this sort of with the most amount of brevity, I guess? So one of the things that I, I in rewatching it and going, reading some of the stuff that people said about the episode of the first, in the first pass, and I, it was almost like university, universally beloved. But there was an interesting dialogue about like the plausibility of Richie being able to pick up mm-hmm. a certain amount of skills in a week. And even within... Uh, the show itself. I mean, like, I think that there are a- aspects of it that are needed for TV, right? Like mm-hmm. the the conversation between Terry and Richie is note perfect, beautiful, but it has no hiccups of like, mm-hmm. oh, he, he, you know, he obviously didn't know it was Terry the second he walked in and mm-hmm. it could have been a little bit more awkward. For you, when you're trying to plot out, like, this has to feel real, but I want it to feel good. How do you adjust basically for making it good TV <laughs> no, versus like making it like, feel real yeah it's a good question i think honestly it's watching olivia and eben because i have the same thought where we're like oh do we need more and even eben was like is this too quick and the thing i kept thinking was like going back to that thing of being stuck like i think a thing can unlock you in 10 seconds yeah Mm -hmm. you know and and if you're looking for something you know if you're looking to be sort of to get out of whatever mud that you're stuck in i think you'll grab on to anything you know anything that can and i think because this is about finding him really finding joy and bringing joy to other people. It felt simple enough and clear enough. And by the way, like, you know, that's doesn't mean he's going to be great forever. And mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. mean that he's changed forever. But I think like even having the Taylor Swift moment, it's like you do have those moments in your life where, because like it, at the end of the day, he, you know, trimmed mushrooms with a chef. <laughs> like, let's yeah. keep in mind, like it's like nothing really changed in his life, but it's like that connection with another human really meant so much to him that I feel like that moment when you are unblocked and driving home and you have a good day and you're singing to a Taylor Swift song is like, it made perfect sense sure. to me. I love that, uh, the way you phrase that, because one of the things that I was saying when we were talking about the show week to week, this episode and others, was that it just seemed like you and your collaborators just, believed in this project of dining, of fine dining as, as, a, as a system that can make a difference in people's lives that people can ascribe to. You were very credulous of this as just an enterprise. Hearing you talk about this now and really thinking about it in the terms of this episode, um, Richie wants to be a believer. Mm-hmm. Richie is looking for a church and he finds a church. So yeah. the episode is shot through with that sensibility, right? He is, mm-hmm. he is saved mm-hmm. in a sense. It is, it is secular, but it's pretty religious yeah. what happens to him. Yeah, and I also think it's like, 
again, when I think when you're building a restaurant or building any business, there's so much downtime mm-hmm. that again, you're grabbing onto anything that sort of floats by you. And one of the things that I thought was kind of special about that, just the process of it is, you know, I, I, uh, I think I told you guys this last time, but watching our actors sort of do this really is everything. Like mm-hmm. for me personally, it's it's the most fun I've ever had doing anything. And we're very lucky to have like a cast that they can do a lot without saying a lot. So I think when we were shooting it, we kept thinking like, yes, it's fine dining. And yes, it's like a, a fancy place, but also like it could have been working at Target. It could have been yeah. working anywhere. And I think that kind of connection into whatever he was doing, he, I think he was just looking for it at that moment. Before we go to Evan, I wanted to ask you a few things about the um, the episode visually. Because when I rewatched it, I realized how consistent it was tonally, visually. But there's this decided shift over the course of the episode from like a kind of icy, cold mm-hmm. loneliness, which I think Evan does an amazing job expressing yeah. when he's like outside the door of the restaurant the first time. And he's like, fuck, you know, like yeah. I gotta go in this thing. To, and you know, the thief music is playing and all that, you know, it has the, these Michael Mann vibes too. By the two thirds into it, you know, Taylor Swift is playing, everybody's playing grab ass. It's so much fun back there and he wants to stay. Yeah. How do you make these little like tonal changes without changing the way you're shooting it? without the changing the way he's performing his part necessarily. It's not just music needle drops. Like, can you give us a little bit of a yeah, sense of I, how you mapped it out? Well, slow, like, so he starts at like 5 a.m. on that first day and it's icy blue. And I also thought, you know, there's subtle nods to some Michael Mann and Ridley Scott stuff in there too. But we also, by the way, I love the the Ridley Scott countdown with Fennessy. Oh, and Adam, that was great, dude. What a wild career that yes. is, man. Um, <laughs> just like 10 years of bad movies. And well, then but like it's just, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's just very interesting. Uh, but I think it's also like slowly... You know, our gaffers are amazing. And I think like the the restaurant itself is getting consistently brighter throughout the episode. And it's also an episode where we didn't move the camera as much as we normally yeah. do. And we saw it, we kind of really slowed down. And also like there's great, there's some great Trent Reznor and Atticus demos at the beginning that we sort of floated yeah. in there. And so we kind of just created that he was like in a different planet for a while and then slowly came to adapt to this, to this place that was ultimately very welcoming. Yeah. When Chris is talking about the turn in the episode and, and you can feel it, just the temperature change and the light change, there's also a moment just in terms of watching it that I was struck by, again, even on a rewatch, where the moment when um, he has the scene with uh, with Gillian on the phone and then there's it becomes very tangerine dreamy. And then when he goes into work for, I don't know what day it is in his mm-hmm. week, but suddenly there's a day when Garrick greets him and says, no more forks, you're with me. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched the episode, I was like, is this a dream sequence? Yeah. Uh, is is he getting what he wants? Because yep. this is not the tenor of Garrett or the restaurant for the mm-hmm. first few days. Obviously, it's not a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And he takes makes the most of this opportunity and he comes alive in a way that serves the character, it serves the show, and makes our favorite episode of the year. I wanted to ask you about that turn. Yeah. Specifically. Um, and also in terms of what that says about what you feel like this show is capable of. Because I think a lot of people say, oh, it's realistic because you show knife work or you go to real restaurants. Sure. But it's not. A documentary and intentionally right. so there, there's an element of fantasy to it 100 percent. and i think it was i think we wanted it to feel a little dreamy mm-hmm. and a little surreal but also it's like we got the great tangerine dream uh cue from thief yeah to sort of that sort of change the pace a little bit but also it was like again one of those things where he's just thrown into something that ultimately is going to provide him some solace that he's looking for and you're not sure if he's going to be on bored for this thing and i think in terms of like what we can do on the show it's like i really like sharp turns mm-hmm. uh particularly in you know in a world where we're like is it a comedy or a drama you know i'm like i don't know like i thought it was kind of cool to just change that up for a second and change the tenor of it and maybe someone called out sick that day and they needed another server and he got to jump up yeah one thing that um that parents and showrunners say uh, all the time is that they love all their children equally yeah. um and they're also all lying <laughs> Um, in, in terms of this season of television, how do you feel about this episode in terms of, you know, where your personal feelings about it, the experiences associated with it, and also how you feel you achieved your goals? You know, it's a tricky question to answer because I, I, you know, you want to say like, oh, I love them all. And, but the truth is, man, like we shoot these out of order for the most part, you know, like there is so much block shooting and I think genuinely, like I feel so grateful to spend the time with these 
people, you know, and I feel like a lot of responsibility to our cast and our crew and our writers and our producers that like you want the thing to be good. But, you know, going back to like the process thing that Richie's looking for, like we have a fucking awesome time at work, dude. And I know that's like not always the, the case. And I think about it a lot, which is like, you know, our crew works so fast, dude. Like our, our days are very short by design. And I think I love all the episodes equally just because at the end of the day, I'm like, man, that was fucking cool. Like everyone got along. Or you remember something that somebody Yeah, like I, you know, know what about. I remember about that day, honestly, was like, you know, Io came and hung out and because she's watching monitors and, and she's going to start directing stuff. And it's like, it, it just felt like every everyone came over to this weird restaurant that we were at, yeah. they were shooting at and just hung out. And Eben happened to be acting and then Olivia Coleman was there. And it was a very strange thing. And I think also having like Adam Shapiro and Andrew and Renee Goubet, who's one of our writers, plays one of the, the general managers. It just felt like all our friends were there and it was a great time. And But then again, I think I look at like Fishes, which is, you know, like you said, like a kind of feel bad episode. That was equally fun. Yeah. You're talking about um, our guy Shappy Pretzel. Shappy Pretzel, King, I, King I of the Strike. Are they, I haven't had them yet. I heard they're awesome. They're really good. I mean, you're you're talking to two Philadelphia boys, so yeah, we I'm respect aware. Adam's work. Yeah, yeah, you have to, that's high praise. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but yeah. sort of part of the reason why we wanted you to come back, other than it's awesome to see you again, is this is our episode of the year, and there's something that happens. Like you know, you're watching something, and and this this happened a bunch of times this year in Succession and on Barry and on Slow Horses, where I've I've been like 15 minutes into something and I'm like, man, they're fucking doing it. Like, this is really happening. Cool. And there's that feeling you get. I, I remember having that feeling during the Friday Night Lights pilot. Like, you're just like, it, it's a feeling that's slightly different than going to see a movie because I feel like you almost imagine all the people in all the living rooms having this experience too. It's something strange where it's like disconnected but connected at the same time. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are there episodes of TV that come to mind that have made you feel that way before? Like, when you're watching and you're kind of hit out of nowhere by like, oh my God, man, this is, this is really, this is really happening when I'm watching. Yeah. I think, you know, more and more, I, I'm just sort of, you know, TV's a, a grind and I'm very lucky to be able to do it. Yeah. And I, it's, I have the same feeling about movies sometimes where you're like, that's a fucking miracle. Yeah. Like, and I felt that way about Friday Night, by the way, Friday Night Lights is a, a show that I, I really love, but I, I feel that way, you know, I'm, I'm watching stuff that haters doing on, on a Barry. Barry. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. Like, how did he even get that? Like, the episode with the dude behind Sarah like in the, the house. coming up. Yeah, I was like, that shit's fucking out of control. <laughs> but also, like, so impressive and quiet mm-hmm. and really, like, staggering. But then also, I'll see, like, episodes of Shadows that I think are truly, like, yeah. some of the funniest things mm-hmm. I've yeah. seen that I'm sort of like, oh, man, I don't know how to do that. And so I sometimes I look at the stuff of, like, God, that's hard to do. Like, I remember there's a shot of, in Mad Men of, like, John Hamm staring at, like, the elevator doors mm-hmm. closing. And I was like, man, that was what? That was terrible. <laughs> <dead. laughs> but I feel like it's it's funny because I, I, I'm really glad uh, my Chris, you're all, mm-hmm. you're our Chris too. Yeah, our Chris. Chris one, yeah. Chris yeah, Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, brought up in terms of, like, we have, we have questions for you about process and we have questions yeah, yeah. for Evan about process too. But the reason why, for me, like, this is the episode of the year is because it was a distillation of what I love most in anything which is i love the plot i love the characters i love the framing i love the production uh but there are moments when all that goes away and it's just a punch to the emotional solar plexus and there are two times watching this episode not for the first time when i get choked up i got choked up watching it and again we'll talk to evan about performance but uh when richie invites tiffany to the concert and you stay on gillian's face and her reaction is devastating and that's not scripted you know you can't you can't prep for that, right? Yeah. And the Taylor Swift moment, you know, and just the, and Richie's happiness, seeing a character achieve happiness. Like, yeah. we can talk to you forever about about script notes and rooms, but like, that's the, the, that's the extra I, shit. No, I mean, that's, that's really nice, you guys. It means a lot. I think the thing that's so interesting is, I think, going back to your question about like writer's rooms, I think the thing that we talk about a lot is how do we just keep it alive? Mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. You know, like, how do we make it just feel alive and, not necessarily like we want to go for emotion, but it's again our our fucking actors are so good, dude. Like I watch I watch Io and I'm sort of like, that was not great writing, and she fucking yeah. killed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like stuff that I had written, you know what I mean? Sure. Like Io has a whole episode where she has to react to tasting things. That's, I, I can't imagine yeah. anything hard. And like when even when she makes the like the moments, you know, when she made the omelet for Abby, like Abby, I think is just so tremendous on yeah. the show, and I think everyone's just so fucking good, and I think. 
with that specific moment with with Eben and, and Gillian, you know, we were we sort of added that. Like we we oh. add a lot of stuff like sort of on the mm-hmm. fly and we were shooting in the house for um for the forks episode where they're throwing forks, not polishing fishes, them. Fishes, yes, fishes. Yeah. Sorry. That's uh, Chris Ryan's favorite episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, joining we, us. We, today. We, we don't speak of it. Uh <laughs> but he, uh I was like, we had Gil was there and we were like, let's go. There's there was like a, a room we weren't using in the house. And it's like, let's just shoot this end of a conversation and I think we can sort of put it into the other episode. plug this in it later. Is. And then we yeah. took Ab out and, and did the same. And also but then it works the opposite way too where we were allowed to like put Mulaney and Bernthal and Eben in a scene together, sure. which wasn't written just because we were like, let's just see these these people together. Yeah and, yeah. and so on set, we're sort of like, you know, again, Io and Joanna were both with me on that episode and we're sort of like, all right, John, you say this. Mulaney, you say this. And like, we start, ra- you know, ratching it up that way. And I think it keeps it, uh, I don't know, it just keeps the heartbeat up. It's almost as if you went out for deep dish pizza in the middle of your plan. We did have some deep, deep dish pizza is not my jam, man. Thank you for speaking truth wow. on this podcast. This is my no, I'm going to get that. fucking killed. But I, it's, <laughs> no, when they when they bring it out, and I'm like, God bless Richie that he likes this. We're going to get stopped by TSA at O'Hare. You know what? Let me, <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase that. I think one bite of it uh-huh. is, is really good. rewarding. Yeah. I think like a slice of it. You I, should be like, I only like it with basil reduction. A basil. Yeah. Well, yeah. also like, I, but honestly, like the, the, a lot of the pub pizzas in Chicago are actually the move. The, yeah. The thin, like Detroit, it's more the like Detroit cut. style. Yeah, 100%. It. But yeah, if you want a casserole. Okay, we're not doing that. Right. We're not going to start to fight. It's, what it's we're going to do instead. It's fully a casserole. We're going to welcome Evan on. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com watch. That's mintmobile.com watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So Evan, we're so happy to have you back on the show, man. And we were just talking with Chris about this episode, Forks, which we're calling our episode of the year here on The Watch. Which oh I, man, is, that's is incredible. An honor. Isn't that fucking cool? Which is which is yeah. an honor first bestowed onto the bear and onto this episode, but it's still I think it has one that has legs, you know. Oh, so you're suggesting? Did you just undercut our award? We were like, <laughs> Evan, we've never given this award before, so you know, there's really no history to it, and we could go away next year. So don't feel too good. What was that? Like, no, I mean, hugging we wanted, but hitting. To, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the beats of the episode. We were talking to Chris about kind of some of the behind the scenes making of stuff, but I had a question for you that's a little bit more uh, wide angle, which is. In some ways, it's like 
Was there anything melancholy about this episode for you? Because it's the end of one version of Richie. And, you know, like he goes through this transformation over the course of of stodging for a week. And in, in a way, like the Richie standing outside screaming about cucks, it's kind of hard to imagine him coming back after this. And I was wondering if there was anything kind of bittersweet about that. Well, there, there, okay. So two things come to mind immediately. One is that I definitely, it, it was a melancholy experience for me, not because I felt like I was grieving the end of anything, because I don't think that people change in this kind of way where you sort of walk through a door and then that's it. I mean, I think you, you have these moments, but you know, that, that doorway is, you know, lasts a lifetime, you know, and I, I, I don't see that the future of Richie's, he's like some well-adjusted, like incredible, you know, um, no, I, I don't think he's going to go around giving, you know, talks about leadership. You know, I, I think he's got a long way to go. And I also think that you humans are, are, are fragile, yeah. you know, uh, and we could, we, and it's easy to fall back on old patterns of behavior. It was melancholy shooting this because I honestly didn't like making this episode. I mean, I liked making it, but I didn't love it because I just felt lonely. And we had a great cast, you know, with all the, all the folks that were working at ever with me. And like, you know, we had, we had really good actors, but I was in a very cold environment of this restaurant. It was dark. It was antithetical to the way everything that I love about our show, which is everybody together, loud, you know, sweating on each other, you know, like not bodily fluids, but bodily vapors, sure. you know? <laughs> um, and um, this was um, quiet and the way we shot it was much more formal, which I liked. I thought, you know, uh, Drew did a really beautiful job. Um, it almost looked like, I don't know, like, uh, like Kubrick, like 2001 or something, the way the, 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 way the camera moves to this space, the way it was lit, but I was lonely making this episode. Do, do you think that affected your performance in any way? Because you're right to point out, and, and Chris was saying this too, coming from an episode where everyone's screaming the loudest that they ever scream in fishes. This is an episode where Richie, whose language, whose, whose demeanor makes sense. Uh, back at the beef, suddenly surrounded by people who it doesn't make sense with, who are you know saying language to him, who are telling him to stand a certain way or behave a certain way. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know what your question is, but I definitely agree. <laughs> would you, with you. No, well, you know what I was would saying? You, too? Would you like a question? I, that's that's <laughs> usually extra. But well, I no, can do Ab, it. you know what I was saying, dude, is that we never even talked about it because I was like, I was just telling these guys that must have been weird because it was literally like me, you, and Drew, and like the you know the all our gaffers and stuff shooting this really quiet sort of emotionless episode for a while that ended up being more emotional. And I think some of the yell, I was telling these guys, like, I think some of the yelling previously sets an audience up for that. Yeah. I was also wondering, dude, sorry, I'm taking over. No, this is what you're here for. No, Eb, was it like when you were just standing in a different kitchen too? I bet that was weird. First, the first time I walked into that kitchen, you know, these guys work so hard that when we were setting up shots, you know, they they were coming in, the full staff was coming in every day and they were developing recipes and and working like it would be a normal day there when they could kind of sneak in. And their their fridge was fully stocked. There was like insane pieces of Wagyu beef and uni, like they were working. They were not going to let these things go to waste. And it was so quiet in there that... I initially thought that they were being respectful of our working process, but they didn't give a fuck about us. They, this is just like, yeah. that is the way this kitchen is run. It is, it is perfectly uh, silent in there. And a friend of mine just saw the, um, the new Frederick Wiseman movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it yeah. about the, the Michelin restaurant. Right, in, yeah. In South France. Yeah. And he was like, you know, the thing that I thought was maybe like a little bit for the cameras was that kitchen was completely silent. And I was like, oh, no, actually, that is really how, like, these guys, a lot of these guys like to run it. You know, like, Chef doesn't want to hear anything at all. Um, I mean, they were following us. I mean, they were so lovely, dude. They were, like, to keep their floor pristine in Michelin level, they were, like, following us around with uh, the silent uh, Oh, really? Like the, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it yeah. was intense. But I also think it was interesting because we did feel, it was, I think, one of the first times on the show that we uh, very genuinely felt like visitors. Like, because mm. it wasn't like a stage and it wasn't like, because yeah. even the house that we shot fishes in, we like built stuff and changed some things. And this was the first time we we're like, whoa, we're really on, we're in someone's We home. have to leave a pretty good campsite. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like we have to be as respectful as possible, but also 
as quiet as humanly possible. So I think it definitely added to some of the, the tension in there. So just going through a couple yeah. of the moments in the episode, Evan, like the one we were just talking about before you got on was this thing I, I only noticed on on rewatch, which is right before Richie's going to walk into ever to, to this restaurant. And there's just a, a beat you take as you're going in. I, I, I think you say, fuck you, cousin. And it's just, mm-hmm. man, it's just fucking first day of school. It's just like, ah, oh, God, I that that the nerves slash anxiety slash a little bit angry at whoever you need to be angry at before you walk in a door for the first time. I, I'm not sure if you guys shot the, the episode chronologically or like in order I like that. I think we did for the most part, if I remember correctly. The only thing we had to pick up because of her veil was Olivia. But Eb, I'm pretty sure we shot it in, that was like, it might've been the first episode we shot relatively in sequence. Yeah, I think because there were so few moving parts in this episode, yeah. we can kind of we could kind of just go page by page. That was a classic Chris Store kind of, you know, on take two or take three. Eb, just say maybe fuck you, cousin. Uh, <laughs> and, and and I mean, I've, I've I've literally gotten that direction like five times in different different. Just maybe say fuck you, cousin. Uh, so this was a different fuck you, cousin. Yeah, I, think I was just telling I was, Andy um, we like we're we always like add crazy shit, and I think like before we go any further, I'll never forget, dude. On the dailies when you're singing Taylor Swift. Right before we roll, you hear me say, like, I love you for doing this. And he goes, this is an act of love. This is an act of love and trust. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is an act of love and trust. This is yeah. an act of love. Just, Evan, Evan, as a performer and as an actor, do you like being rattled or being have ad-libs thrown at you or having things be different from take two to take three? Or is that not your process? Dude, it dep- it depends. It depends who who's who's giving the ad libs. I mean, with Chris, I've I've you know I've one hundred percent trust and love with this guy. Like so, like he can tell me anything. I, I mean, maybe when we first started working together, I was a little skeptical. I was proven time and time again that Chris is always right, and I, I I love him, and I'll do whatever he says. I mean, I don't think that there, there's very few people I would say that about. I've had plenty of directors who would like throw me stuff or like try to talk to like wind me up off camera yeah. and some kind of weird sort of. Meadow way and you know Evan, you know think about kinder you know like like <laughs> ridiculous stuff like that that just makes and that just makes me laugh you know i think we have such a fluidity in the way we shoot and such an intimacy that it can be it can be really distracting to get like notes during a t- take you know it can be quite disruptive but i don't know everyone's just kind of in it together and it always just feels very organic and you know part of the whole thing does that's does yeah, that yeah track no. well, for the you, other thing i should say too is like Eb, I think a lot of things that we talk about, it's like less the improv and more like the entire cast is so good at emotional map. Mm-hmm. You know, like like there'll be questions like, where am I? And it's like, I don't have all the answers sometimes. And it's like, oh, that's a great thing to think about. Like, where is Richie in his day? Is it five o'clock? Is he pissed? Is it, you know, whatever. But not just day. I think this this ties in, Evan, to a question we had for Chris earlier, which is where Richie is in his season-long journey, which is a different thing in terms of his emotional arc where he starts season two and uh, and and where he ends it. For you in filming this episode, and given what you said about whether people can change by walking into a certain building or not, how did you track his episodic transformation? How did were, were you able to do that scene to scene? Were you thinking about it? Were you thinking that when you're doing this scene, he's had to let go of Tiffany? Were you thinking he's doing the scene, oh, he suddenly maybe sees what that board means of, yeah. uh, you know, what this tape, what blue means and what green means and what yellow means? Do you work? Do you do you have an awareness of that on a scene to scene level, or is that is that bigger picture stuff? I think about the big picture stuff a little bit, like on the weekends, you know. Yeah. But I, that is not really my job. Mm-hmm. When we we uh, get down to like the work of the day, I don't feel like it behooves me or the story to like. Again, that's like a trust of of, of the director and the writer, and and these people to keep track of kind of the, the, the macro things. I mean, I know where he's at it's for, for me. I need to know where he's at emotionally, where he's at, you know, basic stuff, what he wants, what his morning has been like, how he feels, you know, what his stomach feels like, what is, how many cigarettes he's had, what the cold is like, you know, did the car start? I, I, bu- I build all that kind of uh, detail stuff. This is, and the interesting thing, like Chris said earlier, like about this episode, it, was just, it, it does come back. It, comes after this flashback episode Mm -hmm. and that would be kind of impossible for me to, and we shot this episode before we shot fishes, uh, fishes. Yeah. Yeah. 
so it's hard for me to understand audience wise, third person dramaturgically, like how that would inform something, how we, we didn't shoot this thing. I could, I've read it. Okay. But how does this inform what we're doing now? Um, but wait, Eb, didn't we I, add the you and Tiffany call? Yeah. So this, this Chris and I, I called Chris on like a Saturday. I remember I was walking underneath the L train. This is like classic yeah. Chicago. So I was like, <laughs> and I was trying to wrap my head around, I was trying to wrap my head around this, um, this, this scene between Richie and, um, Chef Tally, you know, when she tells the story about her dad and, and he said, you know, she, and it was like this, this kind of this every second counts thing. And he's like, okay, so, so time, is that what it's all about? That's what it's all about. And she's like, yeah, I think so. Something like that. And I was like, I called Chris and I was like, is that really what this yeah. moment is? Is this about time? It's about, or it's about how we spend the time. Like I would, I don't want to put too fine of a point on it, but I want to get at like, what is the heart of this revelation for him? Like, what is the thing that's dawning? Because we all are aware of time and, and mortality, mm -hmm. I think. But so, so we talked through this and he helped me kind of in a very classic Christor, like Socratic dialectic. Like he let me say all my stuff. And then I wound back up with like, <laughs> I started at like, I think we need to change it. And I wound up with, Oh yeah, you're right. Um, but, no, but the but, Tiff but, thing, but the Tiffany thing did come out of it. And like, we ran outside. And then at the end, yeah. At the end, yeah. Chris said, he's like, you know what? I think we're going to, I want to add a phone call with Tiff where she tells you that you're, you know, that, that she's going to marry Frank, which I thought was, you know, just a, you know, a, a great upping of the stakes and just a real like addition to the emotional reservoir and, and, and of, of, of the piece. And then I think maybe that, maybe it was my idea that we could have this sort of lines crossed moment where I say, yes. you know, I, I got these three Taylor Swift mm -hmm. tickets yes. and then she's trying to tell me this thing at the same time. And it ends up being this kind of uncomfortable classic, like, Oh no, no. Oh, no, you go. I'll go. Uh, no, oh, whatever. Forget what I said. What were you going to say? Oh, you're getting married. Great. Okay, cool. I gotta go. I yeah. gotta go. <laughs> I, I, I want to unpack that a little bit more. Um, I'm curious, Evan, how did that, how did that scene address your questions about the episode of Richie's journey or chef Terry? And then I want to ask Chris about for him, how that, how yeah. that answered that. Um, how did that say that again? Well, you were saying that you called Chris underneath the train with tangerine dream playing, <laughs> about yeah, yeah, to, to, to yeah. ask about um basically the the ending of this episode where you have this beautiful conversation with olivia coleman's character and she says you know use your time well is that the message of of her life is that what he's learning from this so you called chris asking about that and chris was suggesting that yeah. adding the phone call between richie and tiffany was in some ways a response to your question about what richie's really getting out of this where richie is and I was curious, if, if you see it that way, did that answer a question you had or provide you with something that made it make sense? I'm not sure that that essentially tied to that. But what for me, what unlocked it for Richie was this is a man who's living so much in the past. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. in, you know, he's still wearing his wedding ring. You know, he's, he's wearing the old birth shirts, you know, he's, he's, he's still living like in his glory days. He's wearing like high tops from the, from the late nineties. And so when I first read every second counts, I was thinking about, Oh, be in the present, be in the moment. But I think the revelation that I had about it was that it's not so much that as it more is like, there's miles to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see, you, you still, you still got runway ahead of you. It's not all lost. You know, you can still, change you can still live your life and that, yeah. and i don't know perhaps in some kind of roundabout way the tiff thing helped me get there but i just think from a story standpoint it's just a really nice piece of dramatic addition i just think it adds yeah. another color well eb i kept thinking too because when we shot his side when he said i love you the train actually went yeah. yeah we actually got very lucky with a train and it was like that was fucking kind of gnarly like it was just gnarlier than you could have written and i think there was something about it to me anyway that was like oh it's the guy who feels like he's running out of time mm -hmm. at this exact yeah. moment like t it's like time is just ticking away he's stuck but then eben's right the thing we unlocked with olivia especially because olivia just rules and is just the funniest best person and the fact that she did this for us is incredible but there was also something so like mellow in that moment 
It's gentle, yeah. And gentle. Yeah. And I think the thing that Eben and Gillian did that was so, I think, important about that phone call was that they were nice to each other. To me, yeah. that, that that's that's paired with, you see her face, and I, Eben, I was mentioning this to Chris, like Gillian's performance is just devastating to me when her voice catches, you know, because she knows what she's about to say after you've offered her this this gift yeah. of the tickets. We see that people love Richie, even though he doesn't see it. Yeah. You're separated by the phone. Later, when uh, Chef Terry says, your, your cousin believes in you, we are reminded that our version of Richie is Richie's version of Richie. We don't see him the way other people see him. And this is an episode as much about, it's about many things, but it's also about him giving up one love and accepting love yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And I, Eb, I also think it led to like, because, you know, another scene that wasn't written that we added pretty close to the end of shooting was them yelling at each other in the fridge. Yeah. And I think like, I think there was something about that tip, at least for you in terms of like process, like that moment with Tiff and talking about what Eben was saying that he's not all of a sudden just changed. Like he's still, he's still forever Richie. And I think it yeah. set up, set us up nicely to finish Carmi and Richie's arc for the season where mm -hmm. we last saw them. Mm -hmm. um, I was speaking at the end of the season, you know, that uh, there's like a sort of overarching theme about, about purpose and, and maybe like Carmi's curse. And yep. like, you know, his feeling like he has this terrible talent inside of him that he, you know, only he can kind of see the plate, but like, it's going to torture him and he's going to feel like he's not worth love because like he has to keep, stay focused on this. There's this fucking awesome moment in Forks where your character, Richie, is talking to Garrett and you ask Garrett, so do you cook? Like, do you yeah, want to yeah. be a chef? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, and it's like that moment where it's like you don't have to be Michael Jordan to work in a to play basketball you don't have to be yeah. Chef Terry to work in a restaurant and still have it be your career and your and your life in a lot of ways and that to me like there are so many little things like where you can see Richie transform over the course of the episode but that was the first like like snap for me when watching your performance it was like oh he sees that there are lots of different ways to be of service in this world and to be of service in your job can you tell me a little bit about that scene, Evan? I would say in general, my path, which kind of dovetailed with Richie's path through this episode, was one of skepticism. You know, like, these ideas about hospitality and, like, I've come around to them kind of reluctantly, to be perfectly sure. honest. You know, like, uh, um, and when Andrew's character is, like, saying, you know, like, he, he, he's got the kind of um, belief in zealousness it's like quasi religious yeah. and the whole place is kind of culty you know it's 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 a, it's a weird environment you know and uh for me and i think for richie like the first like the first beginning of of that is is when when he comes in and they start talking about the other people we're going to take care of you know we're going to take care of the this couple that comes they're not going to see they're not going to see a check they're not going to pay a dime it's like oh okay wow, so this is not just about making money. This is not just capitalism. This isn't some big like temple of, of to wealth. You know, There's something more going on here, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, and then that's that moment where he says, you know, I don't, you know, he's, he's there to, to take care of people. No, but you know what, Eb, you gave, Eben actually gave me like a really great idea because again, Eb, it was kind of cool that this was like the only episode that it was just you and you know, like it was just like you and I for a week, which we've never had. Yeah. It's like oh, it will always yeah. be like really special to me, you know, like the same way that we had one with Io and Jeremy. And mm -hmm. the thing you said was that really was a great reminder to me was to always Richie should always be cautious of like he's not yeah. fully he's not fully on board, sort of at all times. And I think it added this like really layered thing to Eben's performance because even at one point Andrew says like. It's why hospitality is also in hospital. And he's like, all right, take it, chill. <laughs> you know, and, and like he, yeah. we always, like yeah, yeah, Evan yeah. always made sure that that Edge was still in there because I think to answer your question from earlier, Chris, like when people are sort of like, well, Evan, you know, Richie changed so fast in this episode. Yeah. And you're sort of like, no, he found something to grab onto for that moment. And as we see as the show continues, like he's not, yeah, he's not completely correct that's yeah. exactly right. Chris is right. Like he didn't, it's not like he didn't have like a change of life, but he's just like, he's like a guy falling down like sliding down a cliff and this has given him like a little bit of a branch just yeah, a little yeah. bit of a handhold to just give him pause and just say okay maybe there is a path for me to sort of climb back up yeah you and, know? Eb, and also not to even be too pretentious about it but it's like look it's like 
I've suffered with depression my entire life. And it's like, there are those moments, like when you have a good day, that sort of You're seems flying. like, that yeah. seems like the biggest victory of all. And it's like the next day you could go right back to whatever, you know? And it's like, I think for this moment, he's completely pumped trimming mushrooms in a fancy restaurant. One thing that I'm fascinated to hear, and I feel like our listeners will be particularly interested in is the ways that the, your relationship, Eben and Chris, and the, the conversations you have about the work have evolved over two seasons now going into three seasons of it. Could you talk a little bit about that relationship? Because there has to be so much trust uh, at this point, and it has to have been built step by step over time as you're shaping this character, as you're developing him, and as you continue to work on him together. So like initially, you know, this, this, this isn't Chris's story, but this is, you know, this is, he has vision. He, he knows this world. This means a lot to him. This, this is something that he's walked around with for a long time, this story. And when you have someone with vision and someone who's a real authority that you can trust, it makes it much easier. There's not a lot of people. It's not a lot of committee going on, you know? There, you know, there's great people involved, but, but, but like, it's really, um, I don't know. I, I just, I just, it's, I find it very easy to turn to Chris, ask him sort of where we, where we're at, where we're going and then sort of leave it with his authority. Um, but I also really like it. I rely on them. Yeah. A lot, like a, like a lot, like you know, it's like in the same way I rely on our producers and our writers and our crew. But like, I also know that, because again, like they are, this is a completely weird situation that like, I love them all so much. So it's like, I, they are sort of my compass through a lot of this. And I think, I think we have a shorthand now. That's great. And I know that if something feels wrong right away, we talk about it. But also I think we can, more importantly, build on it. I don't think, you know what I'm saying, Eb? Like, it's not like someone's right or wrong. It's like, they ask really great questions. And I think we're able to sort of, yeah. You know, but does that make sense? Like, no, just, you're not yeah, like, what but I need you my to do point is that, say this. Yeah. My point is that I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's evolved. So I feel like we had that mm-hmm. miraculously Same. from Same, the beginning. Dude. Same. You know what I'm saying? I think that's just always like it was, it was, thing, it was, man. yeah. And again, like it's, it, I think that's just by nature of making, you know, for a lot of the show, it's six people in a room shouting at each other. So there has to be some degree of trust, not only with the actors, but with the crew and with me. And I think like, I try to give as little direction as possible for the most part, like, cause I want to keep these things filming, you know, I want to be shooting as much as we possibly can. So, uh, when we do talk about it, it's like a few words back and forth. And I think we get on the same page right away. I want to ask one last thing about um, the Chef Terry scene, the mushroom scene, and Olivia Coleman. And um, part of it is for Chris, which is just asking, was it always Olivia Coleman? How did that come to pass? And then for Evan, I just wondered, when you see that on the call sheet, you know you're going to be working with this, this great, great actor who's going to come in and do a scene. What is your process like for that? I mean, is it, like, is it exciting you're going to get to play, play singles on center court at Wimbledon with, <laughs> with a great with another great player who has a different rhythm or is it another day at the office and you see what you discover? I mean, the first question is like, what is turning a mushroom involved? Like, what am I going to, am I going to, am I going to stab myself? I actually, like, is there some weird overhand episode, grip like, with this knife I've never seen yeah. before? Like, like what, what, what is this even? Um, I don't know. I don't, um, Olivia Coleman, I'd never met before. I, knew she was obviously a great artist. Oftentimes the great artists are deeply, especially with an actor is a deeply compassionate, lovely person. I had full faith that we would have a, a really nice half a day together. And we did. I mean, you can see that scene. I love that scene. It's probably my favorite scene of the season. It's very easy. And, you know, a lot of emotional intellectual things are imparted, but they're done in such a sort of casual kind of, not backhanded, but sort of just they kind of accident. They come out accidentally almost. Yeah, it kind of came and went. Sort of, it drifted in like a, like like a fog, and then it's kind of like dissipated, and then she was gone. She was literally in Chicago for less than twenty four hours. I think she was in Chicago less than twelve hours, dude. Jeez. Like that was insane. Yeah, it it yeah. was really. I mean, like, like you we guys didn't even go out to dinner or anything. Like no, I mean we shot. She came in at eight. She was wrapped at. 945 two or something not even she was like that you know it was something really quick and but i think 
I think there was one version of the script that there was going to be a joke of who the chef was. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking about it, we were like, oh, you know what? It'd be cool if it was a woman and it would be even cooler if it was a British woman. Like, it should be like Olivia Coleman. And they were like, let's call Olivia Coleman. And then, like, you know, five minutes later, it was, it was literally five minutes later, it was Olivia Coleman. Wow. And it was just one of those things that we were like, that was very, very cool. And it turns out her kids were fans of the show. And, but I think the, the more, more of the thinking, we wanted a little bit of a reveal. But we also wanted to play, I think you're sort of expecting Thomas Keller to some degree. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to sort of play on that mm-hmm. legend a little bit and just have a nice, as Richie, as Eben, I called you Richie, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, which it. happens far too often. <laughs> uh, Eben, you've had uh, a very long and distinguished and varied career, but I feel like playing this part over this amount of time and you're going to shoot a third season of it soon, um, has to stand out and be a sort of a singular experience so far. What is your relationship with Richie like now? How do you feel about this guy? You've had some downtime and you're going to have to, literally now he suits up. So that wasn't even to turn a phrase. You're going to suit up again as Richie in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, yeah. where are you with him? Um, this job has been, you know, the de- certainly the, the most fulfilling job I've ever had. I mean, even without any kind, if, if nobody had ever seen this, this show, it is a deeply nourishing, artistically fulfilling, like wonderful. Like the days that I spend in Chicago making the show with these people are are manna for me, you know. Um, but with the massive response of it, and certainly so specifically like Forks, this episode being so pivotal to the show and sort of being a lightning rod for so many people that are in certain places that are... I am, I'm in this incredible, I find myself in this like incredible position where people are coming up to me every day, no matter where I am in the world and sharing stories with me or talking to me about how this has changed their life. Or, I mean, to to a lesser extent, like, you know, just, I, I'm, I'm like, um, I think I told Christy the other day, I feel like I've got like a front row seat to like how art or entertainment can make an incredible communion with an unseen audience, you know, and I'm finally, you never, when you make a TV show, like it's, it's like one way, you know, (laughs) like I don't get to see the audience. And now this is, this has been this really beautiful moment where um, I get to see the impact of, of, or the potential of, of making a TV show or, or, or a play or a piece of music or anything. And it's been, Really, really beautiful and really special, and I know that it's a it's a fleeting thing. So I'm just trying to engage in it and and sort of drive right into it. And so yeah. th- there's that. And then where I'm with, I mean Richie, Richie's my guy. Like I love <laughs> the dude. You know, like <laughs> I'm very I'm very different from him, but like I've, I'm I'm also like I I have so much different. Um, like White Squall's not in your top five Ridleys, or it's like. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I don't have my white squall posters in my bathroom. Yeah. So in the hallway. It's that's okay. uh, you know, R- Richie puts it right in the hallway. Yeah. Um he's black. But out. uh yeah, you know, I mean I am probably, you know, his biggest fan. <laughs> but before we wrap up, Chris, do you have I mean in a similar way, like the feeling of it's not the word pressure, although that's a word that fits into a high-end kitchen. Um, talking about the success of something like Forex, because it, it we can say it. You could probably still be critical about aspects of it, but the response that it gets, the emotional response that Evan's talking about, how do you filter that as you prepare to make another season of this show? Yeah, people are starting to get, I think it's that weird place. We may have talked about this last time you were on where people are getting protective of these characters and like the relationship's pretty strong. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, again, like just going off what Evan said, we make the show in such a small way you know what i mean eb like it does feels like we go and make yeah. an indie movie once a year and mm. we all get to see each other yep. and hang out and it, preserving that is kind of the hardest thing and again i don't read i told i was telling you guys earlier like i don't try i try not to read anything and i think one of the nice things is we had three seasons sort of blocked out mm-hmm. even before we started so you're not answering anything you know like i don't, I don't think we're going yeah. back and like listening to what anybody said about the show so in terms of the pressure like the pressure I feel, dude, is making sure we have a good time again. Like, I like my pressure mm-hmm. is to like our crew and our producers and our writers and these guys, and I want to make sure that it's still a fucking awesome time and we're not worried about other shit. Do you want to use this moment 
to tell Evan that he's going to be singing Olivia Rodrigo this season? Like, is there something else? That, this is a safe space. There's he no, won't get we mad. can't. We can't double down, man. I was wondering uh, honestly because this this show predates the Eras Tour secondary market. Isn't that wild? And yeah. I was How like, did Richie get these I wonder tickets. if Richie got up off those tickets because that's like a nice piece of change. Well, you know what's <laughs> interesting? We were trying. Uh, the, is that the, the Taylor Swift tour? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah, people called me, me that for article. tickets. I was like, "You guys, I'm sorry, I got absolutely nothing." <laughs> I, I, it was I, interesting because a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people asked us too, and I was like, "We do, we have no access." Yeah, as as the guys, as the father of daughters, <laughs> I love to start questions like that. As the father of daughters, I would say the only moment in this episode I bumped on was Richie just casually having three Taylor tickets. <laughs> I I casually, I not casually had zero. So respect to Richie and his respect. hustle. Uh, well, I also well, sent me that article about Swifty Dads that really sort of like planted the seed. It was Andy's picture in the, in the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> but it is just to be practical about it. There is, you know, we it's Richie's asking Cicero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He's asking mm-hmm. Jimmy for those tickets. He's you know, so it's mom, not though. Yeah, so there was a guy behind it. Exactly. Guy. Guys, thank you so much for joining us uh today on the pod. This episode, as you've as you're you're absolutely right, man. This this episode means a lot to a lot of people. And I think um, it really cut through a lot of noise this year and really made a, a really deep impact on and people. And congratulations, so congratulations to both of you on the Emmy noms. Yeah. We, we hope to see you up on the stage. It's yeah, really so an exci- well. it's exciting for us as fans. Evan and I will be outside, like, <laughs> breathing heavy, <laughs> not a yeah, crowd exactly. of people. It's, it's insane to even be in the mix. <laughs> Evan, thanks for Across spending the street, your, your East Coast yeah. evening with us. All right, love you, cuz. I'll see yeah, you later, Yeah, guys, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye, it's an absolute pleasure Let's talking to you Let's do it again soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.